0: We're continuing on in our look at the Exodus. Today's lesson, Plagues and the Passover. Let's briefly review what we discussed last week. By the way, is the mic on? Mic's on, right? Okay. Let's review what we talked about last week. Last week we saw how God sovereignly raised up Moses as a deliverer for the Hebrews. And at first, Moses seemed like the perfect deliverer. He had the powerful position and the righteous desire to free all the Hebrew slaves. But why didn't Moses' plan of deliverance work? Why didn't Moses' plan of deliverance work? Danny? Yeah. Yeah, it it wasn't God's timing. He had a plan. It involved murdering an Egyptian and starting something like a revolution. But it wasn't God's way, it wasn't God's timing, and Moses even committed sin to try and bring it about. And this was not the way God was going to deliver Israel, and it did not work. Later, when God showed Moses how God actually intended to deliver the Israelites, Moses didn't want to take part, believing himself ill-fitted, completely ill-fitted for the job. But God didn't tell Moses no, Moses, you're perfect for the job. You're a great person. You really are skilled, and you just don't know it. Have confidence in yourself. What does God tell Moses instead? Instead, God says, Danny? Exactly. It was the opposite of those things. He didn't say have confidence in yourself. Basically, have confidence in me. I will be with you. I will empower you. I will give you the words to say. Don't worry if you feel like you're not able to do this because I am able to do this. God is extremely patient and gracious to Moses as Moses protested in different ways. And Moses finally chose to obey. We saw for ourselves by looking at this account, that section of the account of the Exodus, how dangerous it is to set up expectations that go beyond God's word. Don't call something God's will simply Because it looks like it, or it feels like God's will, you only know if it's God's will if God actually says it in his word. But even when you are following God's will, as expressed in his word, you must let, and we must let, God have his way. God often does things in the world and in our lives that are far different from what we ever would have expected. God is not unfaithful, but his thoughts and ways are far above ours. We must be willing to let go of how we, think, how we think things ought to go and trust that God knows what he's doing because he will bring his promises to pass in his own good way and in his own good timing. And he'll use us as part of that, part of that plan, even to do the seemingly impossible because the power is not in us. It is in God. Questions about what we talked about last week? Okay, well, let's now examine God's real mode of deliverance. We're going to be covering a lot of ground today, Exodus 7 to Exodus 12, so be ready to move at a little bit of a brisk pace. Much of what we discuss will be in summary fashion, but we will look more closely at a couple of passages. Our outline will be to, first, look at Moses' confrontation with Pharaoh, resulting in the first plague on Egypt. Then we'll briefly catalog the ten plagues, and what those plagues had to do with egyptian gods and then third we'll look more closely at the last plague and consider its connection or consider the connection between the passover lamb and jesus let's pray father you are the great god lord i pray that you would bring us back to what is full reality the reality that goes beyond what our simply our senses can sense lord you rule, you reign, you are eternal, and this world is passing away, and all will appear before you in the judgment. Lord, thank you that you've provided a way for us. Thank you that you foreshadowed that, even in what you did with the Israelites in Egypt. In Jesus' name, amen. We pick up the historical account of the Exodus in chapter 7, verse 8. So please open your Bibles and turn there. As you turn there, let me fill in some background between what happened last time we saw Moses and what's happening now. After God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, Moses set out with his family for Egypt and met Aaron along the way. Moses and Aaron then came to Egypt and passed on the news of God's coming deliverance to the Hebrew elders and showed them the miraculous signs that God had given to Moses. Then Aaron and Moses came before Pharaoh and asked that the Israelites might be granted leave to journey three days into the wilderness and hold a feast to God. Pharaoh not only refused to let the Hebrews go, he used the occasion to, to accuse the Hebrews of laziness, and therefore it made their lives even harder. He decreed that the Hebrews would no longer have any straw for brickmaking; they'd have to go find that straw and gather it for themselves, but they had to make the same amount of bricks as they were making before or else they would be punished. Hebrews were were very distressed by this and complained against Moses and Aaron. And Moses cried out to God, wondering why God brought hardship instead of the salvation that he had promised. Once again, God was doing something that Moses did not expect. But God assured Moses that all was happening according to God's good plan. God reminded Moses that Pharaoh will not listen at first, to their request. But because of that, God was going to display his power in judgment on Egypt. When God finished displaying his power, then Pharaoh would let the people go. That's our background. Let's look at verse 8 in chapter 7, and we'll read to verse 25. This is the account of the first miraculous plague. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Work a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff, and throw it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, and thus they did, just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret arts. For each one threw down his staff, and they turned into serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, as he is going out to the water, and station yourself to meet him on the bank of the Nile, and you shall take in your hand the staff that was turned into a serpent. You shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness." But behold you have not listened until now thus says the lord by this you shall know that i am the lord behold i will strike the water that is in the nile with a staff that is in my hand and it will be turned to blood the fish that are in the nile will die and the nile will become foul and the egyptians will find difficulty in drinking water from the nile then the lord said to moses say to aaron take your staff stretch out your hand over the waters of egypt over the rivers over their streams and over their pools and over all their reservoirs of water That they may become blood. And there will be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. So Moses and Aaron did, even as the Lord had commanded. And he lifted up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of the servants, and all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish that were in the Nile died, and the Nile became foul, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And the blood was through all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then Pharaoh turned and went into his house with no concern even for this. So all the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink. For they could not drink of the water of the Nile. Seven days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Okay, big section of text, but let's start our analysis of this text by making observations. Aaron and Moses appear again before Pharaoh and perform a miraculous sign. Aaron's staff becomes a snake. Pharaoh asks his magicians to perform the same miracle, and they do. Their staffs also become snakes. How did they do this? Well, the text says they did it by their secret arts. However, Aaron's staff ate up the staffs or snakes of the other magicians. And Pharaoh's reaction was that his heart was hardened. The next day, where do Moses and Aaron meet Pharaoh? Where do they meet Pharaoh? The the On the banks of the Nile. This apparently was a, a regular thing that Pharaoh did going out to the Nile each day. Could be debated, but probably as a part of some ritual. They meet Pharaoh there. Aaron stretches out the staff, and all the Nile's water and water available throughout Egypt turns to blood. As a result, the Nile starts to stink, and the fish in the Nile die, and finding water becomes difficult for the Egyptians. But the Egyptians are able to find drinkable water. How? Danielle. That's right, they have, to go, they have to dig into the ground and get, um, get what's underground. Apparently that water was not affected, so they were able to have drinkable water. It was just difficult to get. And apparently this was the water that the, magi- the magicians interacted with because they are able to replicate this miracle. They are able to take this water and turn it into blood. And once again, text says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Pharaoh's heart was so hard that he saw all of Egypt's water turn instantly into blood, he just basically shrugs his shoulders, turns around, and goes into his house unconcerned. Okay, now let's ask a few interpretive questions. How were Pharaoh's magicians able to replicate the two miracles that Moses and Aaron did? After all, what Moses and Aaron did was by the power of God. So how were the pagan magicians able to do the same? What do you think? Yeah, Roy. Right. I think um, we can't say for sure, but you outlined the possibilities here. I'll repeat what you said. This could be illusions and trickery. I mean, after all, this is what magicians do today, right? Right. We see magicians on TV or they do performances, and it looks amazing what they're doing, but it's all illusions. It's all sleight of hand. It's all trickery. Egyptian magicians, ancient Egyptian, ma- ancient Egyptian magicians, were famous for snake charming. So it's possible they were able to manipulate snakes in some way to make them look like staffs. It's also possible that they were able to put something in a jar or put something on a staff so that when it struck water, it would turn that water into blood. what looked like blood but it's also possible that they were using occult power that they were drawing on demonic power or some combination of the two in the book of Revelation we see that demons are associated with creating deceptive signs deceptive seemingly miraculous signs so it could be simple human ingenuity and trickery but it also may be assisted with demonic power can't say for sure But the magician's magic is inferior to the power of God. They're not able to reverse these signs. Their their staves are eaten up by Aaron's staff. And they're not able to reverse the Nile turning into blood. And we'll see later on, throughout these plagues, that they're even more deficient. Second question. Some say that the miracle of the Nile turning to blood wasn't actually a miracle at all. It was a naturally occurring phenomenon that brought with it the other plagues. For example, the blood, was not really blood, it was just red algae, the kind that we sometimes see in the oceans today, a red tide. This algae happened to multiply in the Nile and produce an anthrax virus that killed all the fish in the Nile and later forced the frogs onto land, which would be the second plague. But why, if we pay attention to the text, can that interpretation not be true? Several reasons, but what's one? Yes, soup. Exactly. This explanation would only provide some explanation for why the Nile turned red. But the text says that water throughout Egypt turned red. The water that wasn't connected to the Nile, water in reservoirs, waters even in wood and stone vessels was turning into blood. Any surface water, any available water was turning into blood. So that doesn't make sense with a bacterial invasion. We can also say, or we also, well actually I'll ask you, what else? What else points that this, this couldn't be the right interpretation? Yeah, Rob? Uh, could be thinking of a movie or a, movie or a movie? <laughs> Is it true that Moses stuck his staff? Well, um, probably, or Moses or Aaron, but it says he's to strike the Nile. Now, I don't think that's metaphorical there, but yeah, he's actually touching the Nile, and it's an instant change. It's in the sight of Pharaoh. He can see it happening. It's not like you say, hey, this, this water is gradually getting red, which would make sense if it were bacterial. This was an instant change, and it happened all throughout Egypt. So That can't be a bacterial invasion. I think I have one more. Uh, oh, yeah, and the text calls it blood. And, there, and there's no wiggle room in the, in the language for it, just red. It, it means blood. What were you going to say, Daniel? That's a good question. I'm not sure. The the explanation, as I understand it, would require that the bacteria does something special to kill the things in the water. Like, it's not just simply that the algae is there that would kill the fish, but it has to produce a virus that would kill the fish. So I am inclined to think that just because the water is red doesn't necessarily make it toxic. So that's a good question, though. I have to look more into that. Anyways, so... There's no need for us to question the miraculous nature of this or really any of the other plagues. This was not a simply, or what we see happen in Egypt is not simply a series of unfortunate events. These were wondrous and terrifying displays of God's power against the oppressors of Israel. One more question. Why blood? Why turn the water of Egypt into blood and not simply dry up the water or turn it into something else? What do you think? right yeah there is there is something about blood that is horrifying and even repulsive, as you're saying, um, I think that's definitely part of it, yes <laughs> yeah, so certainly. That 's going to be part of it too, to repeat your comment that the Egyptians revered the Nile as a source of life and even as a holy river, so by turning it to blood, first of all that's like that's um, interacting with the life concept in a strange way. This is now a, what looks like death this is This is not something that's alive, and everything that's in the Nile is dying that's the opposite of what they thought the Nile would do, and also I'm not exactly sure what they think about blood, but we don't um, we wouldn't feel good about being near blood or getting blood on ourselves, it's like, um, not unclean, but something like that. It's like uh, by, the, by the, the Nile turning into blood, it's been putrefied. And that's the opposite of holiness. I think there's something else there, though. Those are, those are definitely, I think, good reasons for, or they are reasonable considerations for why the Nile is turning into blood. But I think there's also an aspect of vengeance here that God is not simply showing that the river is unholy or doing something horrifying with the water, but blood, I believe we can infer that blood is a sign of vengeance on behalf of the Hebrews. Because you remember that Egyptians spilled the blood of the Hebrews, not only with the policy calling for the murder of the infant boys, but also in how they beat and supplied very harsh working conditions for the Hebrews. Many probably died under those circumstances. And this was a recompense. This was a sign of judgment. The reason I suggest this is because we see something similar at the end of human history. Revelation 16, 6-7, during the bowl judgments, it says this, Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you! who are and who were, O Holy One, because you judge these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So a number of reasons that probably that the, that the Lord chose to turn the Nile and the waters of Egypt into blood, but certainly would have been horrifying. Could you imagine living next to you or, or being in a situation where all the water around you turned to blood. So this is plague number one. Water in Egypt turns to blood. But let's now look at the rest of the plagues. Yes, Danny? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I'll repeat it, and then I'll I'll comment on it. You're asking, can we say that the magicians, the Egyptian magicians, represented their gods and that Moses and Aaron represented the true god? I think so. The the magicians are, we don't know exactly which gods, but really all of the the religious system and the gods of Egypt was kind of like a competition uh, of of power between the two gods. Really, all of the plagues are going to be something like that, where it's like, what can the Egyptian gods do and what can the true God do? And I think you're right. Part of, how, part of the reason why Pharaoh hardens his heart is he says, oh, magicians can do the same thing. I'm not really afraid of this God. But even later on, when the magicians are not able to do it, he's still, he's still like, oh, well, I'm not going to let the people go. And this is a good comment, though. Let's now look at the rest of the plagues. If you should have gotten a handout for today's class, a big grid, if you didn't get a handout, I think Craig has them in the back. We're going to be using that now as we skim our way through the other plagues, noting some pieces of information that we can fill in on this chart. We're going to look at uh, chapters 8 to 11. We're going to look at what the plagues were, what each plague was, what was Pharaoh's response to that plague, what was the magician's response, if they do appear, and what Egyptian deity was connected to the plague. You may be asking, well, do these plagues indeed target Egyptian gods? Well, right before the last plague, plague 10, God says, Exodus twelve ten, against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So in that plague, and, and likely the ones before it, God's judgments are not simply against the Egyptian people, but also against their gods. He's going to show, or he's going to target the realms and the aspects of the gods that are said to be directly controlled by the Egyptian gods. And through his judgments, God's going to show these gods to be false. And completely worthless and powerless. Now, our worksheet, it actually lists, I think, the, the deities already in that right column. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. These are the ones supplied by answers in Genesis. But it's likely, you should know, it's likely that more than one deity is in view with each judgment. You see, there were many, many gods in ancient Egypt. One estimate is that there were more than 1,400. Lots of gods. And multiple gods were often associated with the same thing. For instance, there are many gods associated with the Nile. There are many goddesses associated with fertility. So when there's a judgment on a certain aspect of Egyptian life, it's actually hitting multiple gods. Some deities were, though, were were very popular at certain times, very important. We'll pay attention to those deities, ones that you've probably heard of before, like Ra, Isis. But even beyond particular deities, With these judgments, there's an attack on Egyptian religion itself. Because Egyptian religion centers on a concept called mat, or ma'at, or me'at. What is mat? Well, mat refers to harmony, order, balance. For you to be a righteous Egyptian, you were... or What determined whether you were righteous was whether you maintained and promoted mat in your personal life, in your family, and in the kingdom. You've got to promote order, and balance. And the gods were supposed to do that too. Pharaoh included. They were responsible for the universe's mat. Maintaining order in Egypt and all the world and holding back the forces of chaos. This is why it was really important to serve and please the gods. Because if they were not properly served, then they could not or would not maintain the order of the universe. They would not maintain mot. So, we're going to see that the concept of Ma, is completely destroyed by these judgments. There's total disorder in Egypt. This was both a national and a theological cataclysm. But we will pay attention to the particular deities as well as we go through. Let's fill in a row for the first plague. We've already looked at the passage that discusses that plague. The plague is listed there. Water turned to blood. Pharaoh's response, his heart was hardened. His heart was hardened. He paid no concern. His so heart was hardened. The magician's response is that they also made the water turn to blood. They also made water turn to blood. Now, what Egyptian deity is being judged here? Well, among other deities of the Nile, we have the god Happy. Picture of him there. Happy was the god of the Nile's flood, also associated with fertility. He's depicted in blue often, also fat, and with male and female characteristics to emphasize his abundant and fertile nature. But after the first plague, instead of the Nile bringing fertility, it's bringing death and uncleanness. There we have information on the first plague. Now let's look at the second plague. You notice there are some verses listed here. We're gonna read the verses as we go through each of these plagues, and I'll help you fill in information that's not in those verses, but the verses should give us a general idea to help us fill in the chart. Second plague, Exodus 8, verses 5 to 7. And that says, verse 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the streams, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. The magicians did the same with their secret arts, making frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Okay, let's fill in the chart. Let's, we're, we've got a lot to cover, so we'll do this quickly. What was the plague? Frogs. We've got frogs coming up all over Egypt. What was Pharaoh's response? Well, it wasn't in the passage we read, but it's in the verses right after. So I'll help you fill it in. Pharaoh, at first, agrees to release the Hebrews if Moses will entreat God to remove the frogs. So he says, I will let you go. But when there was relief, verse 15, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And he did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. So at first, agrees to release them. But then, when the frogs disappear, Pharaoh recants. He refuses to release them. What was the magician's response? Well, that's what Moses keeps on saying. He says, let my people go. But no, what are the magicians doing here? Go ahead and say it. They do the same thing. They also make frogs appear. All right, what deities associated with this plague? Well, one in particular would be the goddess Heket, the frog goddess, a goddess of fertility and childbirth. She's usually depicted as a frog or as a woman with a frog's head. Frogs often appeared in Egypt when the Nile flood came in, and that was a source of life and abundance. They they needed the Nile's floods. So frogs were regarded as as a positive animal. They were a symbol of life and fertility. But here, instead of life and fertility, Hecate's frogs are bringing nothing but annoyance. They're getting everywhere in Egypt. They're getting into the kneading bowls. I'm sure it was hard to sleep with frogs just going all over people. So we have a goddess and her brood just causing trouble instead of prosperity for Egypt. That's plague number two, frogs. Let's go to the third plague. Exodus 8, verses 16 to 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, that it may become gnats through all the land of Egypt. They did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats through all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. I guess I read one verse extra. Okay, what was the plague here? The dust of the earth was becoming gnats, or also can be translated lice. Either one of those things, and it's on man and beast. What's Pharaoh's response? Well, we see it down in verse 19. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. But we also saw in the magician's response, well, actually we saw partly the magician's response. You can also see something extra, though, in verse 19. What's the magician's response? Um, somebody said it? Yeah, they try to do the same thing. They can't. And then in verse 19, they tell Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. The magicians try to do the same. They can't, and they conclude that this judgment was the finger of God. And now, what gods are in mind in this plague? Well, again, there could be many, but two of them, two relevant gods, would be Geb and Akor. I only have pictured one here, Geb. They were gods of the earth. The, and here we see the dust of the earth becoming a plague on the Egyptians. So, no thanks to the gods of the earth, the Egyptians are troubled by the dust of the earth. That's the third plague. Dust becoming gnats or lice. Now, the fourth plague Exodus eight verses twenty to twenty four let me read that now the Lord said to Moses, "Rise early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh as he comes out of the water out to the water, and say to him, "Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. for if you do not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians will be full of swarms of flies." and also the ground on which they dwell. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people are living, so that no swarms of flies will be there, in order that that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will occur. Then the Lord did so, and there came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and the house of his servants, and the land was laid waste, because of the swarms of flies in all the land of Egypt. Okay. The fourth leg is? Not locusts yet. Flies. Swarms of flies. Or it could be mosquitoes. The Hebrew word could refer to either of those things. But swarms of flies or swarms of mosquitoes. How does Pharaoh respond? Well, we didn't see it in the text, but right afterwards, we see him do something similar to what he did with the frogs. He offers her first... Pharaoh gives a compromise, or he suggests a compromise. You can sacrifice to your God, but do it in Egypt. Moses says, Nope, we've got to leave. Pharaoh then says, Okay, I'll let you leave if you just get rid of these flies. But once that happened, or once that happens, Pharaoh hardened his heart, the text says, and did not let the people go. So we offered a compromise solution. Then he gave in, but as soon as the flies were taken care of, he refused to let the people go. He hardened his heart. Magicians, they're not mentioned in this plague, so we don't have anything to write for them. What god is pictured here? Well, the worksheet lists the god Kepri, though I'm not really sure why, because Kepri, he was a, a god, to be sure, with an insect aspect. His head was actually a scarab. It was actually a bug, the scarab beetle. But that that bug and his, his deitieship was associated with the sun, not with really flies or mosquitoes. So, I don't know if this really is the deity in mind here. We'll skip this one. Yeah, Leanne. Okay. As the deity is being um, targeted in this plague, okay, I'll make comment on that. You mentioned that John MacArthur um, study Bible lists Shu and Isis as the the goddesses being targeted here, god and goddesses. If I remember correctly, Shu is the god of the air. So I guess that is a little bit associated. And Isis, she's the goddess of a number of things we'll talk about just a little bit later. Um, among other things, the goddess of health and being bit by flies or being bit by mosquitoes is certainly not going to be very healthy for you and very annoying. So that, those would be relevant deities there. Really, in these plagues, as I said, multiple deities are being affected. Multiple deities are being shown up by the judgments. Okay, that's the fourth plague. Now on to the fifth plague. Chapter nine, verses six to seven. Verse six. "So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But the livestock of the sons of Israel, but of the livestock of the sons of Israel, not one died. Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. All right, what is the plague here? Death of the livestock. Death of the Egyptian livestock. Because none of the Hebrew livestock were affected. And this livestock, by the way, included more than cows. It was horses, donkeys, camels, sheep, and goats also. What was Pharaoh's response? His heart was hardened. His heart was hardened. The magicians, not mentioned in this passage again. What deity is featured? Well, among others, Hathor. Very popular Egyptian goddess, the goddess Hathor. She was the goddess of the sky, of dance, of love, of beauty, of joy, motherhood, foreign lands, mining, music, and fertility. Lots of, lots of things she was supposedly ruler of. She's depicted often as a cow or as a woman with cow horns. You can see her there, top right there, the big horns there with a the sun disc in the middle. That's the goddess Hathor. But neither she nor any of the other gods are able to prevent the Egyptian livestock from dying. There we have the fifth plague, the death of the Egyptian livestock. Yes, Emma. She's the goddess of a a number of things. (laughs) I'll try. Yeah, I'll say them again. Sky, dance, love, beauty, joy, motherhood, foreign lands, mining, music, and fertility. For parallel, I think I read that when the Greeks encountered Egypt, they connected Hathor with Aphrodite. So she's she's a goddess similar in that way, but there's overlap between Hathor and Isis, as we'll see. Okay, that's the fifth plague. On to the sixth. Exodus ten, or Exodus nine, verses ten to twelve. It says, "So they took soot from a kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it toward the sky, and it became boils breaking out with sores on man and beast." The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. All right, what's the plague here? Boils. Boils slash sores on man and beast. Pustules, aching, oozing pustules on man and beast. Pharaoh's response? says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. We're seeing the magicians here again. What's the magicians' response? The <laughs> That's right. Not only can they not do the, the plague, and they cannot reverse it, but they can't even stand up. They can't even stand before Moses or before Pharaoh because they've got these painful boars, uh, boils, these sores on them. So that's the magician's response. They can't even stand because of the boils. Isis is the featured deity here. Notice Isis looks very similar to Hathor over there. Isis, very, very popular goddess in Egypt. Goddess of health, marriage, and wisdom, among other aspects. She was extremely popular, subsumed Hathor somewhat, often depicted as a woman with a throne on her head. So that thing is, since she was the mother of Horus, who was the god of kingship. So she was connected with the throne. Isis, not only as a, goddess, as a goddess of health, certainly in mind here, but her priests and priestesses were also thought to be skilled healers. But neither she nor her religious devoted are able to overcome the boils that are sent by God. So Isis is shown to be powerless here. There's the sixth plague. Now the seventh Exodus 9, verses 23 to 26. Verse 23. Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very severe, such as has not been in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. The hail struck all that was in the field through all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail also struck every plant of the field and shattered every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. Okay, what's the sixth plague? A hail storm. It says that there's hail and fire, but fire actually may mean lightning here. But we have hail and fire coming down on the Egyptians and on the Egyptian uh, crops. It says all, all the plants of the field were destroyed. Now, Pharaoh's response is interesting here. He at first confesses that God is righteous, and he and his people are the sinful ones. Pharaoh also promises to send away the Hebrews to go do as they wish once Moses stops the storm. Moses knows that Pharaoh is being deceitful, that he's not truly changed in heart, but he does it anyways. He goes and treats the Lord, the storm stops, and Pharaoh sins again and hardens his heart. He and his servants, verse 34 says, says that Pharaoh and his servants hardened their hearts. So magicians are part of those servants, so we can list their response there. They hardened their hearts along with Pharaoh. They hardened their hearts. What deity is in mind here? Again, we could say several, but one to highlight the goddess Nut, goddess of the sky. Her body was actually supposed to be the sky, though she's sometimes depicted as a woman with a pot on her head and sometimes as a cow. A lot of goddesses, Egyptian goddesses, they're, they're associated with cows. But Newt is totally unable, even as goddess of the sky, totally unable to protect the Egyptians from this traumatic hailstorm. Man and beasts were killed, and the crops were destroyed. That's the seventh plague. Now the eighth plague. Exodus ten twelve, and then we'll look at verses 16 to 20. Verse 12, chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come up on the land of Egypt and eat every plant of the land, even all that the hail has left. Now there's a little aside in the plague of the hail, where it said the flax and the barley were destroyed in the hail, but there were some plants that had not uh, not, uh, grown yet, so that they weren't destroyed. The wheat and the spelt, they ripen about a month after those other crops, So apparently a month had gone by, and now these other plants are growing. God says, bring the locusts. And then look at verse 16. Verse 16. Then Pharaoh hurriedly called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore please forgive my sin only this once, and make supplication to the Lord your God that he would only remove this death from me. He went, He went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. So the Lord shifted the wind to a very strong west wind, which took up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust was left in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. Okay, so the plague here? A gigantic locust swarm. Every green thing, every fruit in the land of Egypt is eaten and destroyed. What's Pharaoh's response? Again, it's multifaceted here. Before the plague, before the section we read, he gives another compromise solution. He says, oh, you can leave, but only the men. Leave the women and children behind. Moses says, nope, that's no good. Then after the plague, you saw, Pharaoh confesses his sin against Moses or against God and against Moses. And he once again asks Moses to intercede. Moses does, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he wouldn't let the people of Israel go. So he offered a compromise solution. He promised to let the people of Israel go. But then he turned back on his promise. What's the magician's response? Well, here, they're not mentioned specifically, but Pharaoh's servants, in general, plead with Pharaoh, before the plague even came, to just let the Hebrews go, because Egypt is ruined. They say, don't you see that Egypt is ruined? So the magicians, along with the other servants, they plead with Pharaoh to just let the Hebrews go. Now, what God is in mind? What deity? Well, the worksheet lists Seth here, also known as Set. And they, and they call him the God of vegetation, but when I looked him up, I didn't see any connection with vegetation. Set is the God of storms, deserts, chaos, and war. So perhaps as locusts and desert, maybe there's a connection there, but I don't know if he's really the... Correct deity to identify. So we'll skip that one as well. But no Egyptian deity, God or goddess, is able to stop these locusts. All plants are destroyed in Egypt. Now the ninth plague Exodus 10, verses 21 to 23, and then 27 to 29. Look at verse 21 with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Now down to verse 27. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Beware, do not see my face again. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, you are right. I will never see your face again. All right, so this is the ninth plague. What is the plague? Darkness, a darkness that can be felt. The plague is darkness, a darkness that can be felt. After the plague, Pharaoh offers another compromise. You may go, but leave your flocks behind. Moses again refuses, and Pharaoh gets so angry The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He drove Moses from his presence, threatening to kill Moses if Moses appeared before him again. So he offered a compromise, but then the Lord hardened his heart, and he drove Moses away. Clearly, one god targeted in this plague is the god Ra, one of the most important of the Egyptian gods. There were a number of gods and goddesses associated with the sun, but Ra was the most important. He was the sun god. And the sun, because of its position in the sky, uh, because the sun is, is dominating the landscape, Ra was thought to have dominion over all of creation. The Egyptians saw the sun as a, as a revered object. It represented light, warmth, and growth. But here in this plague, the sun was blotted out by the darkness. It was a huge blow to Ra and the Egyptians who trusted themselves, or who who trusted the Son. And we have the ninth plague. And finally, the tenth. The tenth and final plague. We're actually just going to read the, the beginning part, because after the tenth plague, the people of Israel actually leave. And that's next week. But we will read the intro to this tenth plague. Look at Exodus 11, verses 4 to 9. Verse 4. Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I am going into the midst of Egypt, And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in the land of Egypt, such as has not been before, and such shall never be again. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel." All these your servants will come to me and bow themselves before me, saying, Go out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. That's Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So what's the final plague? Death of all firstborn, including the firstborn of cattle. You might be saying, wait, I thought the livestock are already dead. How can more of them die? What do you think? Something must have happened in between. Notice, these plagues do not necessarily run right after the other. There is a month gap between at least two of the plagues. And we saw even after the first plague that there were seven days that, that went by after the Nile turned to blood. So within that time, the Egyptians must have acquired some more livestock. Maybe they took it from the Hebrews or bought it from somewhere else. But they had livestock, and now the firstborn of the livestock was going to be killed as well. But here we have the death of the firstborn. Moses warns Pharaoh of the coming plague, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not listen. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The magicians are not, not mentioned here. What is the God targeted? Well, Pharaoh himself along with all of the gods of Egypt, really, because this is the most direct judgment of them all. Pharaoh was considered divine, the representative of the gods on earth, responsible for taking care of the people and for taking care of the gods. This judgment struck Pharaoh directly, as it, or it would strike Pharaoh directly, as it would all the people of Egypt, showing all of the Egyptian gods to be completely powerless. And for the order, the mat of Egypt, to be completely destroyed. So the judgment here comes on Pharaoh, the divine king, and really all the gods. So we've seen plagues 1 to 10. And these are really incredible judgments. Could you imagine living through these? I mean, just one of them would be terrifying. Probably make me lose my mind. But these all really happened. And why? Well, God said it again and again in the text that we were reading. It was so that God might show forth his glory in accomplishing a mighty deliverance on behalf of his people and a terrifying judgment of Israel's oppressors. Pharaoh was raised up specifically, and his heart hardened specifically, so that God could show forth his glory and power. God keeps his promises. And how foolish, as we read, How foolish it is to abandon or to oppose God. Any quick questions about the plagues? Yeah, Craig. That's a great question, Craig. You noted that with the fourth plague and other plagues as well. It says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, even though other times it says the Lord hardened his heart. And even further, sometimes it says his heart was hardened. That's the passive voice, meaning that they don't tell you who's hardening his heart. What's the significance of that? Well, I think part of the significance is that we see the intersection of man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. These are not contradicting one another. This is not a paradox. They are both true. Who's responsible for not letting the people of Israel go? Well, Pharaoh is. Look, he's hardening his own heart. And yet we also see that this was God's sovereign will taking place. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So both of those things are happening there. And even here, and of course we see this throughout the rest of the scriptures, there's that that connection between uh, human responsibility and divine sovereignty. Any other quick questions? Okay. Okay. Before we end today, let's briefly consider the Passover, the Passover celebration that's instituted by God in connection with the 10th plague. Turn over to Exodus chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 to 13, as well as 29 and 30. This is where the Lord institutes this ritual. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with the water, but rather roasted with fire, Both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now I shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Skip down to verse 29. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat in his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle, Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt For there was no home, but there was not someone dead. We could say a lot about this passage. But let's just notice a few things because of our short time. What kind of animal was to be used for the Passover? A lamb, either the sheep or the goats. What kind of lamb? Unblemished and male, also a year old. But an unblemished male lamb. When was the animal to be killed? says on the 14th day of the first month. The Passover celebration, or the Passover ritual, starts on the, the 10th. It says that's when you bring the lamb into your house, but you kill it on the 14th day. The blood of the animal was to be placed on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house. And when God sent his angel to destroy all the firstborn of Egypt, the angel would pass over the homes with the blood. Why did God tell the Hebrews to do this? Well, It was to serve as a memorial to the Hebrews of what God accomplished for them in Egypt, how God protected them and delivered them, not just from this plague, but from all the plagues that were coming on the Egyptians. You notice in the other passages that we read that God kept making an exception for the land of Israel. They were not struck with the plagues that came on Egypt. They didn't experience the judgments. So this was a memorial to that, and particularly the 10th plague. But as you know, it was also a foreshadowing of what was to come it wasn't just an Egypt that man would need blood to cover him and protect him from God's judgment. This has been a need since the fall, since Genesis 3. The unblemished unblemished Lamb of God, as John calls Jesus, was also slain on the 14th day of the first Hebrew month. He became a Passover Lamb. He became the Passover Lamb. And 1 Corinthians 5 makes the connection explicit. Speaking to believers, he says, Christ our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Do we think the judgments on Egypt were bad? Those were just a taste of the full wrath of God. And we, and all people outside of Christ, if we're outside of Christ, we will experience that judgment unless we are covered by the blood of Jesus and delivered from our sins. But if we are in Christ, then we're like those Hebrews in the houses who have the blood on the doorways. We don't need to fear, the judgment, the angel of death. God passes over us and instead brings us out to be with him, just like he brought the Israelites out. First Corinthians 5 does note, however, that if Christ is your Passover lamb, then you ought to celebrate the feast. We ought to celebrate the feast. And in that context, that meant not toler- tolerating leaven in your house. That is, unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin in your lives. Unrepentant sin in the life of the church. You have to be zealous enough for the Lord and caring enough about one another that we help each other put our habits of sin to death. Because in the Passover, you had unleavened bread. And in a figurative way, we celebrate the Passover of Christ by getting rid of the leaven in our household. Getting rid of sin. Of course, He empowers us to do that by Spirit. There's much more we can say about the Passover and the Passover lamb, but pretty much out of time today. Final comments or questions? An amazing, amazing happening in history and a foreshadowing of something even more amazing. If you're in Christ, you've been covered by the Passover lamb. So thank the Lord for that. Meditate on that this morning. Take joy in that. But if you're not in Christ, then you're like Egypt. Just getting ready for the judgment. Let's pray as we close. Father, Lord, sometimes we do lose sight of just how terrifying it is to be under your wrath. Lord, I thank you, myself and any others who believe in you, that that's not where we are anymore, that we are delivered that sin has no power on us anymore, and we also are not going to suffer the penalty of sin because you suffered it. Your blood was shed. You covered us. You lifted us out from that so that when this reality fades, this world, and we encounter eternity, it will not be the eternity of torment. It will not be darkness. It will not be eternal pain. It will instead be eternal joy, eternal glory, eternal love as we are brought to you as a bride because you are loving, because you are great, and because you want to show forth your greatness. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you spared us from the judgment. You will, you, you will spare us from the tribulation when it comes. Then you will spare us from the final judgment on sin because of your son Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord God. Enable us by your spirit to celebrate the feast of the Passover in that figurative way, Lord not tolerating sin in our lives, getting rid of the leaven so that we can just enjoy you and that we can celebrate you as you ought to be celebrated. Lord, we want to celebrate you more this morning. Teach us by the preaching of your word. Remind us and encourage us by the singing that we will do in the service and the scripture reading. I pray that you bless our fellowship today. In Jesus' name, amen.